Welcome to Bunny Hugs and Mental Health, the podcast that deals with all things mental health. We talk to professionals, survivors, and loved ones about their sometimes informative, sometimes uplifting, and sometimes tragic stories. I'm your host of the show, Todd Rennebaum, advocate, recovering addict, experienced sufferer of depression and anxiety, and author of the children's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Rennebaum. Oh, that was cool. Happy summer. I hope everyone's doing well. But uh, you know what? Everyone's so busy that uh, don't. I don't want you to forget to listen to the podcast. Which, I mean, if you do forget to listen to podcasts, you're not listening right now. But hey, if you are listening right now, don't forget to catch up on some of the past week's I spoke with Dr. Gand about medical assisted suicide when it comes to mental health and mental illnesses, which is a real thing in Canada. I spoke with Juniper Elvin. I spoke to her about her first year living as a trans woman. And my friend Dina, who's a life coach extraordinaire. And uh, a fellow named Big Daddy Taz. He's a stand-up comedian. He's got bipolar, ADHD, OCD, and all that fun stuff. So catch up on those episodes. Uh, They're all fantastic people and great interviews. Speaking of great people and great interviews, I speak with my friend Sarah next week. Uh, we just recently become friends on Instagram. Uh, we have a mutual friend named Haley. She was also on the podcast a while back. And Sarah has, um, she she has all types of little diagnoses from bipolar to PTSD. Uh, she's had quite a bit of trauma in her life. And uh, so, yeah, we talk about that. Uh, we talk about psychosis, so stay tuned for that. But for this week, I am speaking with my new friend, Emily, who uh, I believe we also met on Instagram. She is super quirky and funny and amazing, and she is sober. She's a young mother, a young uh, wife, and she got stuck in that trap of drinking shortly after college and getting into that that whole cycle of, I call it like those wine mums, um, you know, the people that uh, the alcohol companies are really pushing their ads to lately about young women drinking. They're, they're really pushing it hard. She calls it being a gray area drinker. Myself, I just call it you know, alcohol complicating your life too much and needing to quit. I guess gray area drinker is a much easier term to say. Uh, but anyway... Uh, and, uh, yeah, she describes how, how wonderful it is to be sober. She's only about six months sober right now, but, uh, she's really pushing her agenda to, you know, get sober for young women to really open their eyes a little bit and not get sucked into that, uh, uh, big alcohol company trap of thinking drinking wine every night with your friends is super cool. I mean, if you can handle it, that's fine. I, no judgment here. I'm just saying big companies are really trending to, to, advertise for women these days so anyway this interview is a little bit different in the fact that uh, we kind of trail off sometimes and talk about other things uh, including our podcast because she is a podcaster she has a podcast called a sober story podcast which you can listen anywhere podcasts are available so near the end of the interview uh, there's a couple edits that don't really make sense, so I just put a little beep sound in between them just to uh, break up our conversation a little bit. Uh, but it flows. It's good. And another thing is uh, I, I, I kind of forgot to turn on my good microphone again. God damn it, this audio software I use is driving me nuts. Anyway, you can hear what I'm saying. It's just not as good a quality as I'm saying right now. Uh, which is really unfortunate. I feel embarrassed and uh, it's just dumb of me. So anyway, um, there's that. Okay, without further ado, I give you Emily. Well, first of all, I love your podcast. And I think that you have, as we've been talking about, amazing guests and very important topics and issues that you've covered. Um, And I'm honored to be here. And The reason I'm here today is to discuss my journey to sobriety um, and to share with your listeners a little bit about this concept of gray area drinking. Um, Before we dive into that, though, I I definitely want to have your listeners get to know me a little bit and uh, who I am. So 
I'm 34 years old. I live in Southern California with my husband and my two kids and um, our two dogs. And my daughter's doing piano lessons right now. We've got a pretty, pretty cush life, pretty great life. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I definitely have had privilege in my life as a, as a cis white woman. And, uh, um, and I would say that my, my drinking really started in, in, in college. So I'd always say that my drinking, I would always describe it as two different entities, like my college day drinkings. And then after I graduated from college and started my adult life, quote unquote. So, um, before college, I would just say that I grew up in an affluent town, um, in Southern California, a little outside of San Diego. Um, and I just was in like this sea of rich white people. And my family, not so much really rolling in the dough. I mean, we're talking about kids that were like rolling up in like BMWs and like Mercedes and kids that were going like, you know, to USC and just amazing schools. And I just really did not feel like I stood out at all. And I had these like feelings of like inadequacy, even though I was a cheerleader for a couple of years. If you can imagine that, Todd, me a cheerleader. Uh, Give me a second. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I can. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like maybe it was all in my head, but like, I think what really like summarizes my, or, you know, encapsulates like my high school experience was that I think it was like my senior year and they, they gave out like papers during one of our periods about like, about if you're going to graduate and like, just like you're standing. Right. And I remember looking at my standing of my class and it was a large class. I think we had like 800 kids in our senior Good class. Lord, I had 40. Right. <clears throat> 800 kids or so. And I remember looking at my standing of like the number where I was and I kept on like looking at the number and I was like, holy shit. Like I literally was smack dab in the middle of my class, (laughs) literally. And so like, that's how I felt just like a wash and just like these people doing nothing to stand out. It was like, I couldn't even, I couldn't compete with these people with all this money and everything. And so I think that I carried that with me. And I carried that into my college experience and I had a lot of expectations for myself, but then I didn't have like the self-esteem to meet those expectations. And so I relate. I, yeah. Um, So I fucking love drinking because I, it was such an escape, you know, and I'm a, I'm I'm a little person, not a little person. (laughs) I am a petite (laughs) I am a petite person. I'm like five, two, I'm don't weigh too much, you know? And so I would just like, it would not take me long to get intoxicated. Not too much. Cheap drunk. And it was perfect. Yeah, baby. Cheap date, cheap drunk. And, um, I just, I loved it. And I, um, it was my excuse to just let go. And I just, I loved it. I loved letting go and not having any inhibitions and just not feeling the stress, not feeling the disappointment in myself, not feeling the worry, the anxiety of everything that life was throwing at me at that time. Was this like with other people like partying and stuff, or was it just sitting alone, just loving it? No, this was, I was a sorority girl. I surrounded myself with, um, you know, people I, I wanted to make sure that I, um, uh, knew where the parties were and, and yeah, definitely always with people. And there was always hard alcohol when I was in, in, in college, just like cheap vodka, you know, <clears throat> and it was never about the taste of the alcohol. There's some people out there that like love the taste of alcohol. If I could have pressed a button and been intoxicated, that's what I would have done. It had nothing to do with like holding a drink in my hand or anything. It was like, let's line up these drinks, take these shots. And I'll be good for the rest of the night. Um, I should also mention a big thing that happened in my life when I was younger was that I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. So I live with an insulin pump. I test my blood sugar on a very regular basis. I have what's called the CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, which, um, you know, uh, tells me my blood sugar every five minutes. Um, as you can imagine, like, you know, uh, drinking and diabetes just doesn't doesn't mix. It just is not a good thing for my health. And, um, but that was, uh, when you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, you don't give a shit. You just want to party and you just want to be like everybody else. Um, 
So definitely during that time, my blood sugar was just like spike super high. And then like, I'd be hung over and then be eating horrible food. And it was just hard on my body. And I could only imagine how it impacted my studies. I mean, like I didn't do the best. I, I didn't do as well as I could have in college. What were you taking? I was studying to become a teacher. So I was just taking like, I mean, it wasn't like I had like this gnarly workload or anything like that, but I mean, but going back to that, like originally I went to college to become a dietitian. Uh, I didn't, I, I got to chemistry and I was like, I'm scared. I can't do this. And I just like, again, it was like this feeling of like, I can't do this. This is too hard. And so I switched my major to something that was a lot easier. And I mean, I'm a teacher now and I love it and everything. And I'm happy with how I, with, you know, where I like my studies led me career wise, but it's just interesting how, yeah, as soon as I was met with like a challenge, it was like, Ooh, this is scary. I, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And I switched my major. So partied hard in college. When I graduated from college, what people need to know is that when I graduated in 2009 we're in a recession and um, no teaching jobs to be had. And I started, um, dating my boyfriend. Um, and I really saw him as a rebound. I'd broken up with another boyfriend and I started dating, um, my boyfriend and he was somebody who had previously dated like in high school. And I'm like, Oh, this is just going to be like, it's just going to be fun. No, like it ended up, we ended up getting married and having two children in very rapid succession. And so I went from living the sorority girl party lifestyle where my parents were literally footing all of my bills. Uh, they li- they were so, so lucky. They literally told me, Emily, your job is to go to school. And what I do, I just like went and party. <laughs> I did get my degree. C's, dick, C's do get degrees, people, right? <laughs> um, so I went from the, the college lifestyle to like within like, gosh, 18 months of, of graduating from, from college being pregnant. Um, so I got, I, I did get um, married when I was uh, pregnant, about four months pregnant. Classic. And by the time that, you know, happens, <laughs> getting him. here and there, here and there. Um, and by the time that we had our, our first anniversary of our, of our wedding, I was already pregnant with our, with our son, our second child. And um, so it was just such a, I'm still dealing with, I've said this before, I'm still dealing with like, I don't know if it's trauma, but there was a tremendous amount of stress and loneliness and just like being um, 24, having a baby, growing another baby. My husband is in law enforcement. He is working 12 hour shifts and he has this commute of, you know, an hour plus to get to work. Um, We lived in the middle of nowhere and, um, it was really, really hard. Um, so that's something I'm still grappling with and I'm still, you know, um, thinking about, you know, in my life. So <clears throat> interestingly, when I graduated from college, because I associated drinking with partying and with social aspects and everything, I really did not drink when I left college. I remember mourning the loss of my life as like a partier and stuff and thinking, gosh, like, I don't want to be that drunk girl in a bar. Like this life has to come to an end. And I am, I made, I made amends with that and proceeded to just hop right into motherhood and being married and all that stuff. So my daughter was three and my son was about to turn two and I'd been home. I'd been, I'd never, it's so funny. People are like, Oh, you're going back to work. And I'm like, no, 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 never have I worked. Like this is my first job. Um, yeah. So I was offered a, a teaching job and um, I had an aging credential. So I'd gotten my teaching credential and I had this aging credential, um, no experience. And I was offered a job where my mom worked. It was an hour away from my house, but I felt compelled to take that job because I was like, who else is going to hire you right now? Given your lack of experience, um, you should just take this Emily and like work with it. And so I have a three-year-old. I have a two-year-old. I'm now commuting an hour down to my job for one of the most stressful teaching jobs that I have ever, 
experienced in my entire life is dealing with a demographic of students that have experienced a lot of trauma in their own life. Um, and with that <clears throat> comes a tremendous amount of like negative coping skills that these kids have developed. And I was spending so much of my day correcting behavior. Um, you know, there were times we had to like evacuate the class because kids were, there was a kid outside who was like having a meltdown and was like smacking a stick against the door. I was like, Todd, is that you? Just kidding. Um, (laughs) 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 So um, it was really, really hard. And so around this time was also the time when like craft beer was blowing up. Right. And I was never, ever a, a beer drinker, but my dad really liked craft beers, IPAs and everything. And so I started to dabble in dabble in drinking beer and I, again, I loved it. And I, and I started to drink for the taste. Like, I love this. I always looked at it. Like, this is like a milkshake. It's like this delicious, just like the treat. I absolutely love it at this point. Wasn't buying anything. I'm keeping in my fridge at home or anything, but it was just, you know, something that we enjoyed, uh, you know, when we went out as time progressed and, um, you know, uh, things, happened in your life and everything and stress compounds and stuff. And your marriage goes through things, um, that drinking became more and more, um, pronounced in my life. A really big turning point in my life was in June of 2018. And I discovered that my husband was having an affair and thinking back to what I've told you about my life, I had the most stable upbringing. I had parents who would never let me down. I had parents who always put me first. Always. They were such adults, you know? And I thought like, oh, you just grow up and you like know how to make these decisions. And now I know like, no, like you have to work very hard to make good decisions for your family and everything. And so when I found out that my husband was having an affair, it was without a shadow of a doubt, the most earth shattering experience of my entire, my world fell apart to go from my parents' house to my husband's house. Not to mention the fact that I, I had some codependency issues with my husband. I relied on him for everything financially, um, emotionally. I have these two small children and I am basically like stuck in my house and like, he was everything to me. Right. Um, and, and that, and obviously we had to, to work through that. So when I discovered that was, um, happening, um, my drinking just skyrocketed. Um, I was living in a state of constant adrenaline. Like I did not know what was going to happen with my life. I went back and forth. We're going to sell the house. We're not going to sell the house. Um, I'm going to try to stay here. I'm going to have, you know, because in my mind's eye, I was like, we gotta, we're, we're gonna, we're, we're going to divorce. Um, that that's, what's going to happen. And, um, and so because of this constant state of like adrenaline, my appetite was like, it was like gone. And so I wouldn't be eating like at all throughout the day. And so one to two craft beers would fuck me up and I would be like a hot mess. Also around this time, I was going out with friends to wineries. Uh, I was like, you know, hanging out with friends, at their houses and everything, um, blacking out drunk, uh, throwing up. Um, it was just, I was just hot mess express to be, to be perfectly honest. I cannot believe that we were able to keep our marriage together. It took a very, I actually moved out for a time I needed that for myself. I needed to grow up and to kind of also show my husband, like, this is what our lives are going to be like. This is, you are going to have custody of your children for half the time. You're, we're not going to live together. And it was something that I needed to do. And there was some like growing up that I needed to do on my own. So I did move out for a time. You know, I applied for an apartment. I paid for the apartment with my own money. I, you know, that was pretty, that was pretty intense. Your husband stopped seeing the other person at, during this. Yes. Okay. So it was, I mean, it was, it was horrible. Like, I think I, I, when I said like things are over between us, he continued to see this other person for a time period, but she was 
also married to somebody else. And that person was making my husband's life a living hell. Um, and I think he kind of recognized like, wow, I, this is not the life that I want for myself. This is a lot of drama and everything. And, and so he walked away from that when he kind of recognized that it was just like, I think it was just kind of like, oh, like this isn't, I don't think he ever had, it was never like he was going to like become like, you know, the kids, her kids, like stepdad or anything like that. I think it was really escapism for him because again, we were just going through, I mean, gosh, we got married. I was 23. He was 26. We turned around and had children right away. And I think that we didn't have a chance to like get to know each other that well before we, you know, dove into parenthood and everything like that. And it was just like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it was about escapism for him. Um, but we we're able to claw back our marriage and I am, and I'm, I'm happy to say that like we are in a good place and I never, gosh, I think I told you before, like someone's like, this is going to make you stronger. And I wanted to sock sock them in the face. I wanted to punch them directly in the throat and be like, fuck you. Don't there's tell someone me at your don't door behind you. Sorry. There's, I don't know if it's a dog or a kid. And Claire, what do you need? Okay. Are you, where are you going to go? Okay. Bye. Love you. Do they know stuff? <clears throat> um, yes and no. Like, like they That's were obviously like, uh, there. Maybe you don't want to be were... talking to others. No, <laughs> they were obviously like there when I got like, when I got my apartment and everything, my kid, my kids were like young, like in like first grade and like kindergarten. And now my daughter's like going to be in fifth grade and we'll drive by the apartment. It's in town. And she'll be like, that's where you used to live. Like, why did you move there, mom? Like, she still kind of doesn't know. And I'm like, I just, and I explain it. Like, it's just something that I needed to do at the time. It's something that I just needed to do. And so, and I mean, like, I'm not as they get older and everything. And I'm, I'm sure they'll, maybe figure it out on their own. I'm not sure. Well, well, maybe she knows now. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is that I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm pretty open and honest with my kids about a lot of things, you know? So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but, um, so <laughs> the drinking just, uh, like it ramped up during that time period. And of course it tapered off after things got a little bit healthier between us and everything. I ended up moving back home and we went to counseling and um, just worked on our communication. I worked on myself, you know, making sure that like, I, I understand now, like no one is responsible for my happiness besides my, myself. And that's something that I like really hold close to myself. Like I have to take care of me. I have to be happy. I have to create the life that I want for myself. And, and, and that was like a learning experience for me. I can't rely on other people and then be disappointed when they don't do something that I want and, and blame them. I think that was a big, some of our issues as well. So we are together. We're happy. We have a beautiful house, a uh, beautiful family, and uh, we're doing well. Um, but my, my drinking did not end there. Um, I continued to drink and the, um, basically what ended up happening was that I was continuing to drink. I was continuing to drink at least one drink by myself every single day. And it was this heavy beer and I was using it as like, as an emotional crutch. Like I would get home, I'd be stressed and I would have this drink and I would drink it like pretty soon after I got home from work, haven't had anything to eat since lunch. And it would just numb me out. And I could just keep on, you know, just going with my life and uh, make dinner and fold laundry and everything. And it was like this like numbing agent, just like the salve over my life. Like just, yeah. Um, but then the, the more problematic part was the fact that I, uh, when I would go out with friends, it would be like, Hey, is uh, today the day that uh, drunk Emily is going to come or are you going to behave? And so it was like this um, thing of like, are you going to get wasted today or are you not? And what ended up happening was that my kids started to get really freaked out about me going and being out with my friends and um, my, my kids, especially my daughter, who's older would be like, mom, only one drink. Okay. Only one drink. And I'd be like, okay, okay. And she was getting really nervous about it. 
I would be going anywhere with friends, no matter what time of day, maybe I'd be going to have breakfast with friends or go like play like tennis or do something active outside where there'd be no alcohol. And she'd be like, mom, is alcohol going to be there? So my children were becoming extremely like, like just very worried about me. Okay. And, um, my husband grew up with a mom who is an alcoholic and she, she was a binge drinker and stuff. And so when I would drink, my husband reacted really strongly to it and was extremely disappointed and just like made a big deal about it. I think that there's some people out there, if their wife or their spouse gets drunk, you're like, whatever. Right. And that was not our case. Our case was like, it was causing problems in our marriage and his reaction in turn freaked out our kids even more. It was just a bad situation. So, um, at this point I'm drinking a drink a day. I'm drinking more on the weekends. Um, I remember there was like an event where I was like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. Um, and then someone offered me a drink and without even like my brain didn't even register. I was like, yeah. And I completely forgot that I had even said, like, I don't want to drink. So in my head, I'm starting to like, tell myself, like, this isn't good for your health. Like this is horrible for your um, diabetes. Um, this is causing problems in your marriage. Your kids are starting to get freaked out about this, Emily. Um, I am upset with myself for how much I'm drinking. I'm like looking at my days and I'm like, oh, well, I, I didn't have a drink on Tuesday. Like that was it. Like, it was like, yeah, you got Tuesday, Emily, but every other day was just like drinking. Um, and so things came to a head in January. We're going to go on a camping trip in the middle of nowhere. And the people that we were camping with were drinkers. Right. And so, and by this point I hadn't been super drunk in a while. And I remember feeling really righteous on the drive over and being like, oh my gosh, these people are probably going to get so drunk. And we don't drink like that. I haven't been drunk like that in a really long time. And my, and I remember my husband turning to me and he was like, you're right. You have it, Emily. And I'm so proud of you. And I remember like him saying that to me. And I just, even to this day, I don't know how that hits me. Like some part of me is like, yeah, I'm proud. I was proud. But then part of me is like, oh my God, like the fact that he has to say that he's proud of me for not drinking and getting drunk. It was just like a weird feeling. I was like, okay. okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like, ah, okay. Interesting. Um, and of course we go to this camping trip and I get wasted. And I also believe that I, I, I take Zoloft and I believe that that night, because my, my drinking had caused a lot of issues with my anxiety, believe that I also, um, abused my, my Zoloft that night. I think I like, I remember going to look at my pill box the next morning to take my medication and like half the pills were gone. I was like, what is going on? And so, um, I, I, I woke up the next morning, um, in that state of just like panic of like, what did I say? What did I do? My daughter is crying. My daughter turns to me and she's like, mom, why did you do that? Like, why did you? And, um, and my husband is, um, mortified. He had just told me the night before, like, I'm so proud of, you know, I'm so proud of you for not drinking. And here we were. Um, and it was just like this point where I was like, and I think I'm done. I think I, I think I don't want to do this anymore to my family. So at first I did stop drinking because of my family, stop drinking because of my children, because of my husband and because of the issues that it was causing in our marriage and in our family. And I was sick of scaring my kids. Um, and I, uh, stopped and, um, didn't have any issues with stopping. It wasn't like I had any, I mean, I had cravings. It was definitely a habit that I had formed. And while, you know, the times when I was used to drinking, I, I replaced with exercise. Um, cause I do like exercise. Um, but after a while, um, you know, I, I didn't need that anymore. And I just drink a shit ton of like sparkling water and all that stuff. Um, and, but I'll tell you what, I, I decided that I was going to start this, this podcast. I wanted to understand how other people came to choose sobriety. Cause I think these stories are fascinating. Um, <clears throat> So I started this podcast. It's called a sober story podcast. And I um, interview people and I, um, and they share with me just like their journey to sobriety, starting all the way with childhood, all the way up. And, um, it was through talking with these people that I started to recognize that I wanted to stay sober, not just for my kids, not just for my marriage, but for me. And, um, 
I recognized how much the drinking was in, impacting my health and impacting my mental health in terms of my anxiety and stuff. And now, you know, I'm taking it one day at a time. I still think it's kind of freaky and like totally like scary to be like, oh, I'm never going to have a drink for the rest of my life. But as people say, just take it one day at a time. I'm choosing not to drink today and we'll see what I say tomorrow. But I think that I will choose not to drink tomorrow. Um, Are you- Hi, everyone. Just a quick break here to tell you about a couple wonderful podcasts that I think you might like. If you enjoy mental health podcasts, which I assume you do because you're listening to this one, then I think you should listen to the Rainy Days podcast. That's with host Jason, and he was even a guest on my show here not too long ago. Uh, Jason aims to discuss and explore mental health unapologetically through shared living experiences and projects centered around mental health and well-being. Jason's a great guy. He's got great guests. He talks all about all types of things, mental health. And he's from the UK, so he he talks real fancy-like, so I think you'll like that. That's the Rainy Days Podcast. Another amazing podcast is a Sober Story Podcast with your host, Emily. She is also an amazing host, and she also has amazing guests. There's a powerful story behind each person's journey to sobriety. Join us each week to hear the stories of people from all different walks of life as they share how they became sober. And I'm telling you right now, as someone who's been sober almost six years, it's true. I have yet to meet someone who does not have an interesting story about how they got sober. So, the Rainy Days podcast and a Sober Story podcast. Check those out and write and review them. Are you doing this on your own? Is there any, like, AA meetings or... So, mm -mm. I do not, um, you know... My drinking never led me to having a DUI. I mean, God knows like in college and everything, I I drank and drove, but it never led me to a DUI. It never led to hospitalization. It never led to me losing a job or drinking on the job or showing up drunk to a job. There was no huge thing. In fact, no one in my life said, Emily, cool it with the drinking. Um, you should stop drinking. Even my husband, like even, even when I would get super wasted, he would be, he wouldn't be like, you need to stop drinking. Um, so I don't really, um, I don't really feel a connection with AA. Um, I use sober podcasts to help me. Um, I also feel like talking with people for my own podcast has been such a cool tool. It's like this reinforcement to hear other people's stories. That has been amazing for me. Um, and then I've read um, a few books. Um, uh, I can't remember what they're called right now, <laughs> but mostly it's just, um, yeah. Talking with other people, being active in the sober community online on Instagram through my podcast. Um, and just like learning more about like truly what alcohol is. And when you find out like it's a toxin that, you know, there's no safe amount of alcohol to drink, right? That's what they say, you know, and just problematic drinking has become so normalized in our society that, um, you know, when you walk away from it, you're just like, wow, like more people should do this. More people should try this. So that's what I've been doing. And, um, so far it's worked. And at the end of this month, it'll be six months. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Really fresh. Yeah. Yeah. That's all January of this year. Um, and yeah, totally. And, um, yeah, honestly, I think I told, I might've told you this, like when I started the podcast, I was more excited about starting the podcast and having like, kind of like this, like podcast in this format that I hadn't really seen a lot. I was more excited about the podcast than I was about like my sobriety. I was like, (laughs) Hey, we'll see what happens with sobriety thing. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just interview sober people and see what happens. But it was through interviewing all of these people and talking with all these people that I was like, holy shit, like this is the life that I want to leave leave for myself. Mm -hmm. You want what they have. Amen. I really do. I really do. I want to be present. Um, There's just a lot of things, a lot of incidents that I think back and I just wasn't present and I'm tired of numbing myself of, of, of feelings that I deserve to feel and that are important to feel, you know, like so often 
you're numbing yourself to these negative feelings of boredom or loneliness or, and you, it's like you, it sucks to have to deal with those feelings, but that's like what I deserve is to work through those feelings and, and then figure it out versus just numb yourself. I, I know that feeling of trying to avoid feelings. And it's like, now that I'm sober and it's like, I just deal with those feelings as they come. It is so much fucking easier just to deal with those feelings as they come than to suppress them and have them show up when you don't want them and to keep suppressing them, keep suppressing them with alcohol. Like, so I went to treatment and I remember the big thing that they would always say is like, you have to learn how to feel your feelings. And I was like, I know how to feel feelings. Like who? Like, I didn't get it. I actually didn't. It took me like a year to even get it. I was like, I have no idea. Like I feel angry and I feel all types of emotions. (laughs) But I wasn't. It was like, oh, I, I didn't even know how to feel happy, how to feel just content, how to how to just have a nice uh-huh. day. Like my default was misery. It was like, no, I, I, right. I, I guess I don't know how to feel happy. I would feel happy. And right. then it'd be like, whoa, I'm starting to feel, I feel pretty good today. And then it was like instantly, oh, you feel good. Something, you know, you, you know <laughs> that term, uh, um, this shall pass too, or this too mm-hmm. shall pass. I mean, that's how I felt with happiness it was like. It was like, I couldn't enjoy happiness because this too shall pass. So what's the point of like, that was just chaos. Anyway, so what I'm trying to get is I relate. Yeah. And for me, I I, I feel like I didn't know how much I was using alcohol, like as a a social tool. Um, And I've discovered that I'm definitely not as extroverted as I thought. I want, yeah, I will get to a social event and everything. And I, I realized now that I used alcohol to sit and to stay in a situation that I really didn't want to sit and stay in. Like, I'm definitely more of like, I want to get up and I want to talk and I don't like to sit and just like schmooze for a long time. Um, and I use the alcohol to force myself into that. And, um, and now I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. And, um, I think I'm ready to leave. And, and that has been, that's been really cool. And another thing that I've noticed about myself is that like, I'm just, even when I was drinking when I was still drinking and I was not under the influence, right. I'm like just having conversation with coworkers and everything um, or anyone. I felt like I had to be like this, like I had to like be like this, had to like throw in these like zingers or I had to say something that was like controversial or I had to do something like, like, look at me, you know? And um, it was like, I had to just like perform or something. And now I am so much more content with just like, sitting and talking and not trying to be like the funny person or trying to be, you know, controversial or anything like that. It's just like, I'm just so much more of a content and calm person now in my, in my life. So that's been really cool to experience as well. About the social stuff. It's my, my kind of friend group has shrunk since I've gotten sober and not that I didn't have good friends before, but it's like, it's gone from quantity to quality and, and that whole schmoozing thing. I didn't like it either. I was good at it when I drank, but now it's like, I, I yeah. crave connection with people as opposed to just like, Oh, how's the weather? Hey, yeah. Hey, and then, then you perform a little bit and it's like, Hey, that guy was great. And it's like, Hey, I like that guy. Cause he laughed at my joke. Now it's like, I actual have actual conversations that are meaningful with people. And, and, and it's like, yeah, it's a lot more fulfilling. 100%. Yes, yes. I'm really not into small talk. I'm like, tell me about your relationship with your parents. Are you happy? Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I feel like my conversations that I have with people are a lot more meaningful um, as well. And that's that's been, and yeah, it's it's uh, quality over quantity, most definitely. Tell me about gray, so. gray matter drinking. Is that what it's called? <laughs> gray matter. Gray area drinking. Yeah. So going back to this notion that like my drinking didn't really like create these like huge problematic things in my life. Right. Maybe I, I, I argued with my husband and everything and my children were freaked out over my drinking. But again, no DUIs in my past. Haven't lost jobs. No one told me you should stop drinking, Emily. Um, gray area drinking is drinking that falls between the spectrum of social drinking and dysfunctional drinking. So it's that murky area in between, right? And so for some people, 
drinking the way that I drank is absolutely no problem, right? But for me personally, it was starting to become an issue. And in my own head, I was like, I don't like this anymore. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. But I felt so, it was like such a habit that I had created. It was such a persona that I created. Like, yes, let's get the beer. I love this beer. Love this IPA. Oh, let's try this craft beer. Um, And so again, it's like this, it's like this uh, spectrum of like, you know, you're not like the guy sitting on the corner with a brown paper bag, but you're using alcohol, especially for women as an emotional crutch. Okay. So that is, that is how gray area drinking is defined. It's not causing huge problems in your life, but you're kind of like, I want this to, I'd like to change my drinking habits. And whenever, and you can fall into gray area drinking the moment that you say to yourself, I don't like this anymore. Or like, maybe this is an issue. You're like in gray area drinking. And, 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 and I would encourage people who feel that way to seek support. Now, maybe AA is not going to be the thing for you, but there's so many like resources online and such a community online for you to turn to and for you to just share your story or reach out to people and say like, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. There's gray area drinking, like accounts and stuff on, on Instagram, you know, where maybe you can like see if, if you fit into that, into that type of drinking. I, I don't know what I was. I mean, I did end up in the hospital cause I was suicidal, but I, I mean, I, same thing. I didn't have a DUI. I didn't, didn't lose a job. Well, no, nah, I guess it, you know my story. I guess maybe maybe it was a little more than gray area, but but I remember being in treatment and like hearing other people's stories because you know you're in there with like people that are on meth for ten years and stuff too, and it's like and you're hearing their horrible horrible traumas and you're and then you know I'm comparing myself to them. I was like, oh, should I be here? Like I I I didn't go through this intense traumas and I didn't do this and I did yes and um, my group leader at the time pulled me aside because I said something like that. He's like, dude, it, a drug is a drug is a drug, first off. Secondly, you cannot compare trauma. You cannot compare pain. And you cannot compare right. stories. You can't compare your sobriety with other people's sobrieties. You can't compare addictions. He said, stop it. it it's not an accident that you're here. Like, no one accidentally is like, whoops, whoa, I'm, I think I'm in the wrong place here. Like, you you need to be here. And um, it's... It, and I'm like, I know people that drink way more than I did, but they could handle it for whatever reason. It was what it was doing to me that caused that, that made it an addiction. It was affecting my daily life. It was starting to affect you. Like even with you, it was starting to affect your relationship. It was starting to affect your children. If you stuck with it, maybe right. it, it would have turned into, you know, the brown paper bag hobo. So, so anyway. You know, any level of drinking that's negatively impacting your life is valid. And I think that's what needs to be, that is the message that that I want listeners to get across is that, you know, we think of alcoholics, like you said, as like the brown paper bad guy who like has like, you know, lost his house and is homeless and everything. And that's like not the case, you know? If you are drinking and it's bothering you and you want to change your story and, and, and that's valid and you are able to reach out and get help and everything. And like you said, don't compare yourself to other people. You know, I think that I, that's something that I, that I, I dealt with or I struggled with. I was like, I felt like this imposter syndrome, like, oh my gosh, here I am this little like white girl and her like nice house and everything. And here I am whining about, you know, my little alcohol problem, quote unquote, but it was causing me issues in my life and, 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 and that deserves like a space and, um, absolutely. And that's important to, that's important to share. Like, you know, there's no stereotypical, like, yes, you deserve, you know, help, but you don't, you know? So that's what I want people to hear. Yeah. There's no exam where it's like, Oh, you got, you failed. You got four out of 10. That means you're an alcoholic. I mean, everybody's different. Yep. And whatever. Yep. What, what do you think of these? Like, these wine mom kind of memes and there's even Instagram accounts of like moms getting together and doing the whole wine thing. And do you feel like, (laughs) again, I just feel like, again, I feel like alcohol, um, problematic drinking is so ingrained in our society 
um, especially for women to lean on alcohol, that it's just such a commonplace kind of a thing um, that we joke about and everything. Um, and it's so unfortunate, you know, and I, and I, um, I, I don't like it. And I think that it's, um, I'm sure that like the large alcohol companies just absolutely love it, you know, but um, to those people, I would say like, you deserve more, like you deserve, you deserve happiness and joy and beautiful things in your life without having to, to use alcohol to get there. Um, that that's important. And you deserve friendship that doesn't revolve around using a substance to cope and to, and to bond. Word. Word. Um, yeah. It's so, yeah. I, I, yeah. That, that shit drives me nuts. Like right now it's like a huge trend that companies and memes and all this stuff are coming out and like targeting women and they're targeting young mothers. They're like come have wine with your friend on every night it's like i'm my wine mom and like it's all the, like t-shirts and all over the place it's like oh if, yeah if you really said what it was was like forget about your kids and your crappy husband come get numb with me and we'll we'll bitch <laughs> you know it's like let's make those stickers todd let's make those stickers <laughs> pass those out Let's pass those at the farmer's market. <laughs> Here you go. You can have this with your kombucha. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And, um, but I am very happy. I do feel like there is a, a, a sober movement going on. Um, you know, we have discussed the fact that there are so many alternatives to alcohol in terms of alcohol, free beer, and um, just different spirits out there that are alcohol free. And there is like, there are actual like alcohol free, like tequila options and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yes. Yes. I, I don't, I have to send it to you and everything, but like for those individuals that are not triggered by the actual like tastes and it's more so just about like the experience of having, I don't know. Um, that is such an option. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> it is the taste for me. Yeah. So like, um, yeah. Everyone else is sitting around drinking nice wine and I'm having a black coffee. Like this isn't quite the same. Right. Yeah. 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 It isn't. It isn't. Um, but there's just a lot of options out there for people. And, um, you know, I, I encourage people to be brave enough to walk away from that lifestyle and to find true connection with others. And this is what I will also say to listeners is that you, you can't be quiet about it. I mean, you can be quiet about it, but it's okay to tell other people you no longer drink. So a couple weeks ago, I had a, a neighbor who, um, invited me over for, for Margarita. And I was really nervous because, uh, she didn't know that I didn't drink. And I find that being like in a party situation is like really a whole lot easier to just kind of like go under the radar and everything. But when you're in that one-on-one situation, it's like, you need to like look that person in the eye and be like, no, I'm not drinking or no, I'm not going to take that. And so I, I did. And I told her like, Hey, I, I actually don't drink. And it was so cool. And she's like, Oh, okay here's a, you want sparkling water? And I was like, hell yeah. And we had great conversation. Did you talk about me? I said, let me tell you about Todd <laughs> and his mustache. <laughs> let me tell you. So it was, it was just really cool. And, um, what I'm saying is that you need to let the people around, you know, like that is a, that is a goal of yours because sometimes you forget that you're not supposed to be drinking. And like, that's a weird kind of a concept. Like remember the t- that when I was being quiet about it and I was like, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. And as soon as someone offered me a drink at that Christmas party, I was like, hell yeah. Completely forgot that like, so it's okay to be loud about it. You don't have to like scream it from the mountaintops, but it's okay to just be like, this is who I am, or I'm just trying it out, or I'm just, you know, not drinking right now. So I, don't be embarrassed about it is what I would say. I'll tell you anything. It's like, yeah, I used to be a real alcoholic and a dickhead, and now I'm now I'm sober. 
Well, I'm still dealing with it. Like Mike, I'm a teacher and I'm going to go back to, to work in August and everything. And I, and I haven't, I haven't, you know, just being at like barely six months, not even six months, you know, I haven't, I have to be honest, like there haven't been a lot, so many opportunities for me to be like, Hey, I have, I don't drink anymore. Except online. I'm ready. I'm ready. Except online. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And with my neighbor and, um, that's the other thing. So I don't do, I don't do official AA meetings, but I do attend online support groups, like women's support groups and everything that you can just like, you know, log on to and everything. So that's something else I do. That's another, that's another resource that I, that I enjoy just talking with people about it. So I like that too. With my experience, I'm almost six years sober. I'll be six years in November. Wow. Six months, six years. (gasps) Six, six, six. We need another six Six. in there somehow. (laughs) I used to drink 66s. Hey. No, that's four sixes. I got nothing. Um, Um, And I don't want to sound like I'm, uh, I'm, I don't. Preachy. Tell me. Tell me. It can get harder before it gets easier. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it's like, they say six months, one year, two year, and five year are like the, where it kind of gets hard again. Especially for me, it was two years. I was like. Like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, I wasn't, I, w- I wasn't like tempted to go out and drink, but I was like just grumpy and miserable with my life. I was like, if I'm going to be grumpy and miserable, I may as well be drunk and grumpy. And, you know, it's like, so I'm just saying, uh, just keep at it. I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. You're doing a great thing with your podcast. You. You're doing a good thing speaking to me about it. So just hang in there. And it, Thank it, you. it may get crappy again, but. You're doing all the right hey, things. Support I, groups. You're online. You, yeah, you're doing, yeah, you're doing good stuff. I'm trying. I'm trying. But yeah, I recognize that. Like, and I haven't gone through any like, l- like huge life changing things. Like, my parents are still healthy and here and everything. And I do recognize that. Like, there's, I am going to be challenged, and I, and I, I do know that. And so I'll cross that bridge when I come to it and use my tools and everything. But for now, in my life, I've really enjoyed removing alcohol from my life. It's, it's, it's been a really positive thing. And I hope that I continue on with it and use my tools and stuff and talk with more cool people like you, Todd. Well, good luck talking to people more <laughs> cool than me. But anyway, um, <laughs> I know. Impossible. <laughs> um, I've had a couple of things happen in my life since being sober. And I gotta tell you, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine going through those things drunk. It was like, your brain yeah. goes, oh man, I should just get drunk and that'll be easier to deal with. It's like being completely in the present, clear of mind and dealing with that shit. It's so much easier than dealing with it. Plus a hangover and whatever embarrassing shit you did that day and whatever, you know. Uh, uh, Absolutely. So Absolutely. They call them tests, but it's not really, it's a super easy test to go through them <laughs> for me anyway. Right. This is my experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. And I mean, I still have anxiety yeah. and I've dealt with depression and stuff, but again, it's like, okay, now add alcohol on top of this. Like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So I started taking Zoloft, um, and like the height, like the height of the pandemic and, um, still totally drinking and everything. And, I was like, I think I'm gonna have to up my dosage of my of my Zoloft. Like, this is not working. This is not working. And then I stopped drinking. I was like, Oh, I get it now. Like, it's a problem when you drink and you take these medications. Yeah, no, I love my podcast. I love the people I've talked with. I've had like life changing moments talking to people um, on my podcast, and uh, it's been very, very, very powerful. And like, just when you think that like, you haven't like you've learned everything. I mean, of course I haven't learned everything that there is to learn. You just think like, Oh, or I'll go to like an episode with like a preconceived notion about a guest. Right. And then like you hear their story and you're like, Whoa, like that is nuts. And I'm really making a concerted effort in my podcast to make sure that I am including people that look differently from me. So it's important to me that I am reaching out to people of different demographics, different skin color for me and everything so that we can hear the stories of 
people from all different walks of life. Um, that's important because obviously, uh, addiction affects, uh, everybody. Um, so even tall I'm looking people for the even tall people Whoa. and little people and every type of people, you know? Um, yeah. So it's been, it's, so that's another really cool thing is to talk to people who are different than me. I miss, and I might've said this before that I miss the option of just like zoning out and like numbing out. And, but like now I know better. So it's like, I miss the ignorance of just, you know, like of the masses of just like, this is absolutely fine, you know? And now it's like, like I know better. I know it's causing me anxiety. I know this is only going to cause more problems. And it's like, God damn it. Sometimes I want to just have that the easy way out. Yeah. Um, in treatment, they call but, that getting comfortable in your own skin. So being able to just mm. sit there and like, like boredom is like, how to deal with boredom? Because <sighs> yeah. in treatment, you're not allowed your uh, phone and stuff. So there was, so some people, it's funny because they give you lots of homework, lots of assignments during the evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes they would like give a certain person, because some people like that, right? Like they have to keep these after. So they'd be like, you, you have no homework. Yeah, they'd be like, this weekend, you have no homework. You don't have to do any of the assignments. Your assignment is just living in your own skin and just being. And it fucking drove people nuts. It drove people nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I do have that problem. I think that getting sober, I maybe part of like my addictive addiction or whatever was like being busy with the podcast. And I like work on this and everything now. Like every day I'll, I'll work on it for a little bit and everything. I do. I, I remember my mom when I was younger telling me, Emily, I think you're going to have a problem with drugs or alcohol or something because you can't, she literally said to me, you always have to be stimulated. Like you always have to be doing something. And I was like, Maybe you have ADD. That's fucked up, mom. Maybe, maybe my sister has ADHD, I think, or ADD, but I, I do really enjoy, I do struggle with like relaxing and stuff. And that was part of the and that was like one of the only times when I would just like sit and like watch TV or just like do nothing is when I was hungover. Right, right, right. Um, so that was an interesting. Do, do you feel guilt now when you're instead of just sitting there and like being, do you feel guilty like, oh, I should be doing something or I should be doing that? You know what I mean? I, do, I always feel that way. Yeah. I always feel that way. Yeah. And me <laughs> yeah, too. So, like, I, so yeah, clearly I have. I have some things I need to work through. I feel like I can't, I feel like my self-worth is wrapped up in my productivity. Right, right. Yeah, I hear that. And that's when I was high, I, I could do that. I just get high and fucking watch TV and giggle and be like mm -hmm. totally cool. But now it's like yeah. being sober and doing the exact same thing I did when I was high. It was like, oh, I feel guilt and anxiety because I'm not doing something. or Right, yeah. right. You know, yeah. I don't know if that's an ADHD thing or just a sober thing or what it is, but. I'm know. I'm getting better at just being know. like fuck it. I'm going to sit here and I don't care. Uh, what I want to work on, and like this is something that <clears throat> once I'm like a little more healthy from my being sick right now, um, I really do want to um, establish a practice of like meditation or breath work, and really because I've heard that that I talked to another guest who said like he has this angst, right? Like that's the this like ah feeling. And he's like, once I started addressing that through meditation, he's like, that actually helped bring those feelings down. And I was like, I need to work on that because like, that's how I feel. I feel like my, that's my anxiety in the pit of my stomach is this is like, Argh! and I want to work on that next. <clears throat> Qigong's good too. What the hell is that? Qigong. It's like Q-I- Gong, I think. <laughs> it's kind of like Tai Chi. All right. And it's, it's like okay. Tai Chi while meditating and like you, it's a bit like yoga. Yeah. I like that. I like the idea of incorporating movement with that. See, it's because the idea of just sitting there and being still terrifies me. I'm like, I just, I should be doing something with my body. Like I should be moving. Right. I should be flailing. I don't know. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm productive now. I, I <laughs> exactly exactly i brought down my blood sugar through exercise like that's seriously how i feel i feel like i always have to be like doing something like with that wasn't emily nice isn't that 
just a wonderful story. And uh, yeah, she, thank you, Emily, for that. I always appreciate my guests. I always appreciate their honesty and their vulnerability. And But yeah, you, you, you guys never know. Uh, Emily and I may uh, collaborate again in the future sometime. We, we I don't know, I liked her company. I, I don't know if she liked mine, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the future here. Don't forget, next week I'm speaking with my friend Sarah from Dubai about her uh, illnesses and diagnoses and her some of her traumas. So uh, stay tuned for that. Please do me a huge favor. Tell people about this podcast. Tell about uh, all, all the episodes you really enjoyed and all the ones you uh, think people would would really like. Please tell other people. I'm I'm seriously really trying to make a living doing this, and currently I'm making zero dollars on it. Also, rate and review. Uh, by rating and reviewing, it gets the podcast seen more. It gets uh, you know a little more notoriety, and I can get some more wonderful guests by by the notoriety, some high profile people, whatever. Uh, so yeah, please do that, and uh, I'll see you next week. <laughs>